IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we review new albums by Big Thief and Spoon. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. He's headlining the NFL TikTok tailgate at Super Bowl 56, Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? Yeah, I just want to make it very clear that if Tumblr ever wants to do a uh, Super Bowl halftime show or Live Journal or Blogspot or any of the other uh, old head social media platforms that I was actually on in the 2000s, I'm like totally up for that as well. But I, I just like the fact that like there is such a thing as a TikTok tailgate. Yes, is this, is this the first year of the TikTok tailgate at Super Bowl? Uh, I, I did they have this last year? I don't remember if they did. You know, if they if they did, I guarantee the Chainsmokers also played it. Like I I think they they should just be like a permanent fixture in this thing. Well, yeah. So the Chainsmokers, I, I joked that Ian was headlining the uh, the TikTok <laughs> tailgate. Actually, the Chainsmokers are doing it. Um, I feel like the Chainsmokers are, uh, should do this every year. I, I, yeah. I can't think of another act that is more suited for this job than the chain smoke. <laughs> Do you think the chain smokers are super self-aware or not self-aware at all? Like, are they so self-aware that they're like, Oh yeah, if we headline the TikTok tailgate, people on indie rock podcasts, will talk about this. They'll make fun of us, but we are getting the last lap because we are self-aware or are they so unself-aware that they're oblivious <laughs> and they would actually think this is kind of an awesome thing to do. Well, you know, as much as I want to get into like amateur psychology about uh, the chain smokers, I, I I think it's a combination of both. I mean, like I just think of people who are similar to them that I know in the industry, and, and you, you don't turn down this opportunity. Like you, you gotta a, you gotta strike while the iron's hot. I mean, and I think the iron is actually like ice cold for chain smokers because like I think that they had a new song. It kind of came and went. I think it was sort of pop, like you know, new pop punkish, but. This opportunity presents itself. You gotta do it, especially if you're the chain smokers, because like who else leans into being as unlikable as them? They are. Like, if they're so unlikable that I'm starting to like them now. Yeah, it, it, I'm like in on the ground floor <laughs> of the, you know, five to ten years. Hey, the chain smokers actually had some jams. They were misunderstood. What is that thing where if someone leans into their worst qualities, that it makes them more likable? In some bizarre way, uh, I feel like that's like a, uh, it's like a weird quirk of human nature that yeah, you know, if if you just embrace your awfulness, somehow that makes that awfulness seem redeemable. I it, yeah. I don't know why, but yeah, like I'm I'm, I'm like oh yeah, I you know, I'm kind of I'm starting to like the chain smokers <laughs> here a little bit because they're doing this thing, they're going all out, um, and I think we've talked about this before, but like their song yeah. with Coldplay. Yeah, genuinely good song. I I like that song. I'm 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 putting myself out there. Yeah, get, got it. Got it, in in the Gossip Girl extended universe. That is like Stairway to Heaven. It's Hey Jude. It's can't always get what you want. So you know maybe we, maybe if we see it from that angle, like oh oh like look we're now we're in like a head to head race to be like the chain smokers apologist in twenty uh, twenty seven. So 
We need to stop now before we this this is what's going to break up IndyCast. Hey, by the way, did you ever correct your uh conf- your mistaken conflation of Gossip Girl and Gilmore Girls? Was that ever Yes, I did. Was, was that cleared up? I don't know if you ever officially addressed that on the show that I think I, I think I did. I definitely had to clear it up at home. <laughs> cuz um, cuz it's yeah, cuz we were talking about Gossip Girl recently and you were talking about Gilmore Girls. Yes. This is definitely Gossip Girl that I'm talking about now. So I wonder how many uh, IndyCast heads out there. None. I got no shit for that. I can't believe it. Yeah, it it, it totally, that was not, whereas if you had misidentified like a deep cut on Jets Get Born, you know, (laughs) if you would say. I would get shit from, I would get shit from you and nobody else if that happened. If you said that, uh, you know, Cold Hard Bitch was a song by, (laughs) uh, you know. I'm trying to think of another band from that era. Wolf Mother. Yeah, if you, if you thought that was a Wolf Mother song, we we would get emails uh, oh t- until the cows come home. But like, we'd actually probably get like you know actual mail about from that. You know, kind of giving the audience <laughs> right. getting like uh, telegrams from our yeah. from our listeners. Um, Someone challenging me to a duel or some shit. So uh, other weird. Uh, Super Bowl uh, musical performances coming up this weekend. The Foo Fighters are playing in the metaverse. That is that that is as Foo Fighters as the Chainsmokers doing a TikTok halftime show. Like, wasn't that we a- talked about this last? We talked about this last year how they would like the Foo Fighters exist to play the Super Bowl halftime show, and they're going to do it even if it's in like the single lamest social media platform. Well, I mean, if they ever do a reboot of RoboCop, I think they already did. But if they did another one, <laughs> I feel yeah. like that would be uh, the Super Bowl show in. Like the new RoboCop would be Foo Fighters playing in the metaverse. I mean, it feels like that kind of bit. Um, yeah. But yeah, they've never played the halftime show proper, right? Nope. No. You know, because this year, you know, it's going to be the uh, '90s rap nostalgia show. Basically, you got yeah. you got Dre, you got Eminem, Snoop Dogg, mm-hmm. Kendrick is in there too, right? I I feel like he is. I think he's in there. I, I, I should double check that. I. I wonder if we're gonna get like a Nate Dog hologram. I I want to see like all of the bit players from the Chronic in there. I want RBX. I want Lady of Rage. I want Daz. I want them to play like this. I want them to do the twenty dollars sack pyramid, not just like you know five minutes of lose yourself and then like maybe the next episode and like forgot about Dre. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about this before we went on that you know we had that run. I guess it's about 10 years ago now with halftime shows yeah. where it was like all the classic rock people were doing uh, halftime shows. You had Springsteen, yeah. you had Tom Petty, you had The Who. Um, huh. I, I think The Stones did it once. You know, I, that's, they, they had to have. I, I forgot The Who played in Tom Petty. Yeah. Really? Huh. The, the Who, and, and like, I love The Who, but that was a terrible yeah. halftime show. They looked super <laughs> old at that show. I think that was the, um, the Colts. Uh, Saints Super Bowl that the Who did. Ooh, that was a very unmemorable Super. Bowl. Yeah, that was that was not a good game. Uh, well, other than the the uh, uh, onside kick that Sean Payton yeah. did, that that was a uh, iconic moment in Super Bowl history. And the fact that like it was seen as a triumph for the Saints owner, even though he tried to like move the team after Hurricane Katrina. But right, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> but I just wonder, like, are we now in the era officially, like, where that's not going to happen again? Where uh, like, are the Foo Fighters going to get a shot, or are we now in the era? Because last year we had the weekend. Now yes. we have Dre and and Snoop. Yes. Is Dre and Snoop? Is this like the new classic rock slot? Like, uh, where if you're if you're going to have an old artist, it's going to be LL Cool J or something, or I I don't know. Uh, 
like Jay Z is Jay Z going to be doing a halftime show? That would I think that would happen. Um, like Jay Z makes a lot of sense. Um, kind of surprised it hasn't happened already. But I, I would say that as far as like actual like classic like rappers that are classic rock acts now, I really think Jay Z and like this combination that we have right now are kind of the only ones who could pull it off. Um, I think that we are more likely to see the Foo Fighters do it in the future. Uh, then say you know I, I I'm trying to think here like LL Cool J well, or well like like Taylor Swift I don't think it's ever done yeah it. how has she not done it um you know you've got like Harry Styles you know I could yeah. see him getting there like BTS maybe they'll do it one year um, yes has Ed Sheeran ever done the Super Bowl halftime show I I, I I don't think so I could see that happening um I just want yeah I, I, because it seemed because I mean some of the people that we mentioned that did it like ten years ago obviously Tom Petty's no longer with us. Springsteen could maybe do it, although, I mean, he's, um, you know, I'm trying to think how old he is now. I think he's like 72. He's 72 years old. He could still yeah. do it. Um, oh, yeah. If anyone, he can. But, uh, yeah, I just, I feel like maybe, I'm trying to think of if, if there'll be another rock band that does it. I, it could be the Foo Fighters. ACDC, ACDC maybe back in the day, but not now. I don't think, um, yeah, I, I mean. Van Halen, but not now. No, like, well, it yeah. was Eddie. You can't do it with yeah, Eddie, exactly. unless you have like yeah. Wolfgang play bass and guitar. Yeah. Um, well, maybe the next band that we're going to talk about could do it. We got to go yeah. back to the Chili Peppers here. <laughs> they could do the halftime yeah. show. They're, they're, they that, would, that would be a good. That would be fun. Yeah, I, yeah, I would enjoy Chili Peppers halftime shows. So they. Oh God, better. I was just thinking Aerosmith. Fuck, man. Like, they did it like. Know. They did it like twenty oh, years ago. Oh, that's right. They did it with Nelly and Christina Aguilera. That was a guy. That is correct. That was maybe the most boring Super Bowl of all time. That Giants Ravens. Right. Yeah, that shit was horrible. That was, Almost more boring. More boring than even last year's. The Chili Peppers. We were talking about their new They're single. Back. Dro- it it yeah. dropped a week ago, but you know, I feel like we have to uh, you talk know, about the actual song. <laughs> we have to. We have to close the circle here. It's called. Uh, is it? Is it Black Summer? It's called Black Summer. Black yes. Summer. And. Um, you know, the anticipation for this song was that John Frusciante's playing on it. First yep. John Frusciante, Chili Pepper song, I think in 16 years. But Anthony Kiedis, as he is wont to do, hijacked the discourse with his uh, vocal delivery in this song. Yeah. Very interesting choice. He's singing. I, I've, I've seen people liken it to a pirate accent. Yeah. I, I felt like it was sort of like an Irish brogue Yeah, at, at times. Uh, and it's a little auto-tuned as well. Um how do we feel about this? Are we on board with uh, the Irish era of Anthony Kiedis? I don't know. Like, I think if you if you just like kind of tweak it a little bit, like he can be they, Chili Peppers can become like one of those angular, talky British post punk <laughs> bands. Maybe that's what they're like uh, greasing the wheels for. I don't know. Like, it, 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 it is the distance between like the Red Hot Chili Peppers and say like Yard Act and Wet Leg that big? I'm hoping they do this. They they see the writing on the wall. They see that we are living in a UK post punk era. We talk where we just jumble a bunch of words together to talk about the absurdity of modern existence. How is that not the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Well, Anthony Kiedis is talking about the absurdity of modern California. California? Yeah. California. California. Oh my god. California. This is your best mispronunciation yet. I do know how to say California. I think I was yes. going to say Californication and then I bailed at the last yeah. second. But um ah. Yeah, he, you know, he, uh, as I was saying, he reflects on the absurdity of uh, modern California. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, 
I'm still curious about this album. I think we've yeah. established that it, the indie cast position on the Chili Peppers is that we want this album to be good. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, I don't know if you saw this, okay. but um, Steve Albini, who's been very active on Twitter lately, yeah, he uh, praised Insane Clown Posse because Violent mm-hmm. J, uh, one half of, of the duo... Mm-hmm. Gave an interview, I think it was with Stereo Gum, where he yeah, this was way back in the day, a long time ago, where he was reflecting on some of the lyrics of the past and you know some lyrics that uh, you know homophobic lyrics in past mm-hmm. ICP songs, and he was being very reflective about it and and basically atoning for some of these lyrics in a very thoughtful mm-hmm. way. And Albini uh, praised Insane Clown Posse for doing this. Uh, and then the process, he took a shot at Deadheads, uh, saying yeah. that he said that Juggalos are better than Deadheads because Deadheads have tons of CEOs and lawyers in their ranks. Not yeah. untrue, although yeah, I, totally true, totally true. Although I, you know, I'm sure there are lawyers who are Juggalos. I mean, there, there's got to be some out there. There might be even some CEOs. I bet. Yeah, Violent J and Shaggy Two Dope are CEOs. <laughs> exactly, they're entrepreneurs. I wanted to ask you about this, though, because Steve Albini, like I said, he's been active on Twitter lately, and it seems like he more and more is taking this uh, position of being like a moral conscience in a way, like yeah. reflecting on he, – he, he's talked about his own past, some statements that he's made that he regrets. He, uh, of course, uh, you know, he started a group called Rape Man. Yeah, <laughs> you know, back based in the, on like a Japanese comic or something like that. And I think he regrets – uh, you know, using that name, you know, I, look, I think it's great that uh, he's being thoughtful about his own work and he's praising Insane Clown Posse, which is not something you would expect Steve Albini to do, although you would expect him to take shots at Deadheads. Um, yes. But in a way, this kind of reminds me of like, and I, I don't want to get too specific here, but like there was this generation of like internet writers that I associate like with Gawker and Deadspin, who in the 2000s like were very provocative, uh, very unpolitically correct, even for that era. And then 10 years later, uh, they were very progressive and they were very apt to like criticize other people who were politically incorrect. And there's a similar sort of like hectoring bullying quality to both like how they were in the two thousands and how they are now. It's, mm-hmm. and I feel like Albini has that still. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I'm not being very articulate, but there is this sort of thing of like, you know, I'm going to be a bully <laughs> when I'm politically incorrect and I'm going to be kind of bullying when I'm politically correct. If, if, yeah. Does that make any sense? It, it, it does. It's like the old, the old style of like being like snarky and, you know, irreverent and so forth. Like that's kind of, re- that's impossible to uphold. So now you got to be like kind of more selective about it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, I think it's like the dynamic between like punching up and punching down because, you know, juggalos despite how like widespread they are it's always seen as punching down if you're uh against juggalos and then it's you know kind of easier to talk about like how uh their politics are actually somewhat progressive but i mean i just think steve albini just like is totally being himself by like bringing deadheads into this for no reason at all uh you know like what what do they they have nothing at all to do with what he's saying and yet he just can't resist. Well, and he also had to say that ICP's music is atrocious. Well, that's not <laughs> untrue. <laughs> I know, but you know, it's like even like when he's praising them, he had to make sure to get 
some kind of shot in. Yeah. And I see. Well, well, look, we're all progressing. You know, I think that this is, you know, progress, not perfection for Steve Albini. You know what I mean? Just as long as he makes those drums sound good, I can give a shit what he says. Absolutely. I, I, and as a sidebar to this, I'll say I, I interviewed Violent J, um, mm-hmm. I guess, maybe about three years ago now when I did my Woodstock 99 podcast. And he is a really nice guy. He was probably the yeah. biggest surprise of all, out of all the people I interviewed just because he was so gregarious and friendly and warm. I guess I didn't know what to expect when I interviewed him. Um, yeah. But he is a really nice guy. If you if if you're out there and you want a position to interview people, I'll say this to you, Ian. You should interview Violent J. He's a really yeah. He's a, I should. He's actually a really good interview. Uh, and really nice. Oh yeah, he's got stories. I mean, someone who's like been in the game this long has actually had a lot of success, and yeah, they're gonna have stories. So let's get to our mailbag segment here. Uh, if, thank you again for everyone who reaches out to us to send us emails. Uh, we can be reached at indiecastmailbag at uh, gmail.com. Um, do you want to read this email, Ian? Yeah, let's do it. So this comes from Zach from Joplin, Missouri. Is Love that, it. Like, scale of 1 to 10, how indiecast is that town? Well, you know, I mean, have we had Missouri people write us yet? Uh, I don't think so. I wonder... Uh, Zach, if you live near the Ozarks, are you in the Ozark yes. Mountains? I wonder. Yeah, we are, we're. I'm a big Ozarks watcher. So my uh, my, my late grandmother uh, lived oh. in Missouri for a long time, Missouri, as they say Missouri. it. And she lived in Springfield, Missouri. Ah, she owned a she owned an apartment building there. Anyway, <laughs> anywho, uh, Zach, I'm a big fan. Let's get that out of the way first. Um, so. Just getting to his like, I, and Zach has been following us for a while. He, he gives us a lot I'm of compliments. Afraid. We we could skip the yeah. compliments part, but thank yes. you, Zach, for for the compliments. Yes, my question for you guys is: What are some great songs on bad albums? Ah. I've been thinking a lot about this. I recently revisited the last Arcade Fire album in hopes that my mind was clouded by all the negative reviews. Turns out it's still bad. However, I really like the song "Everything Now." Objective opinion, sure, but I think it's still great. Other songs that come to mind are Ghost Town on Kanye's Ye album. Uh, just about every Weezer album is terrible, with some exceptions. Okay. Since Pinkerton, ah. But I can always find a song or two I like. For example, Perfect Situation on Make Believe. Uh, that song follows Beverly Hills, which is an all-time stinker. Another is the song Silver Lining on the last Rilo Kylie album under the Blacklight. Terrible album, all-time great Jenny Lewis song. So... Anyway, hey, I like that you album, guys get actually. the point. I know. I think Under the Black Lights, that and More Adventurous have like kind of had this like weird turnaround where they're like almost more celebrated than uh, the execution of all things. But neither here nor there. Anyways, you get the point. Thanks for you for your time. Best wishes, Zach Joplin, Missouri. So, um, great question, Zach. Thanks for writing yeah, great in. Great question. Uh, so, like when I uh, saw this question, I immediately thought about. Uh, albums from the from the late '90s, you know, the CD mm. era, and yes. the I guess we'll call it the landfill indie era of the mid aughts. Oh um, yeah, the you know the, the post Strokes bands. Uh, <laughs> yes. So I was just thinking. I mean, the thing about like those late '90s CDs is that I don't know, for instance, if the Flies have another good song other than "Got You Where I Want You." I God's don't... a basketball. Like I will ride for that. I will ride for that song on holiday, man. Okay, but like that album is not. Is that album good? Is the Flies album good? <sighs> what? Well, like it's. It. I can't say for certain. Okay. Um, I mean. All right. Yeah. I, we don't want to get sidetracked. I, I'm just saying. Like, it, like, does Marcy Playground 
have another good song other than St. Joe's on the school bus and it's Saturday. Man, man. It's like I am playing basketball against <laughs> Michael Jordan right now with that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's more like Dikembe Mutombo, man. I'm just rejecting every fucking shot you're putting up right now. And then, you know, going over to like the, you know, the aughts era indie, I was thinking about like I Predict a Ride by Kaiser Chiefs. Like that's the song yeah. that jumps out to me. Oh, yeah. I remember I had that album. And <laughs> so did I, I bought man. that CD. Yeah, it's not a good album, but I like that song. Um I'm going to bring up She Wants Revenge again. I always bring up She Wants Revenge mm. on this show. Um, yeah. I was thinking of that song, Tear You Apart, from their mm. self-titled album. 65 mm. million streams, by the way, on Spotify. That's got to be on yes. some kind of playlist. Or or are people dialing up that song specific? I don't know. It's 65 million streams. Indie Sleaze is back, baby. You know, the, our, Zach mentioned Weezer as being uh, a band that does this a lot. I was actually yeah. thinking about New Order. Uh, especially yes. like like the album Republic, which I don't think is a very good record, but Re- no. Regret is an amazing song. Yeah, like un- incredible song, and like it's like the first comp- track, and you can just yeah skip the rest of the album or um, Crystal on Get Ready. That's another yeah. like album opening banger. I actually yeah. think there's some like some pretty there's like some pretty okay songs after that, but like that album overall with Billy Corgan on it. <laughs> yeah, that album overall wasn't that good. So I, I think no. New Order. <laughs> Does that not an album band? You know, I was thinking, um, you know, to make a more recent reference is like working for the knife from the Ooh. new Mitski record. Like, Ooh. does that qualify? I mean, is, is the Mitski discourse still unsettled? It, it, that, it is your that your that is your grave, Steve. <laughs> oh, man. I, I don't know. I I feel like that. I like that song. I feel like it stands apart from that record. Uh, I agree. Like pretty but you strong. You said it. <laughs> um, how about you? Um. So yeah. I mean. I, with the, with the late 90s CDs, I mean, I think that kind of complicates the discussion because then we're just talking about, like, you know, bad bands that happen to have one good song. And, you know, like, buying the CD, listening to the CD, feeling ripped off. Uh, the used CD stores are filled with these kind of things. But, uh, yeah, Latter-day Weezer Smashing Pumpkins albums, I think that's definitely a category of, like, one good song on a out al- Like... I, I think of this question more framed as good bands, bad albums, one great song. And so I think a definitive example from like my classic rock period, uh, Fool in the Rain from In Through the Outdoor, just a fucking awful album. Uh, I'm sure Bob Dylan and Neil Young have like a ton of songs that fit into this category. I'll leave that to you. Um, but I don't think so, actually. Band- I'm going to, I don't, I mean, with Dylan especially. Like his his albums that are bad end up being good like about thirty years <laughs> uh, later. So gotcha. So I don't think that applies to Dylan. Anyway, you were saying. All right. So the one band, um, I think Floridada from An- the Last Animal Collective uh, record is in the same vein as Regret, where it's like the first song I'm painting with, and I don't listen to anything else after it. But I'm gonna like. I feel like I'm stepping on unsteady ground here by uh, actually steadier footing is actually a name of a song this band has put together. But um, recent Death Cab albums have been like the one good song on the otherwise album I never listened to again. Um, Summer Years from the last one. uh, Thank you for today. Ghost of Beverly Drive from Kintsugi. Doors Unlocked and Open from what I think is the underrated Codes and Keys. Un, like as they become, and I think Modest Mouse, you would put them in there as well. Maybe they're more recent songs, but um, yeah, bands like that. Um, you know, I've uncoupled my emotional attachment 
from the actual quality of music now. Now I'm not like personally offended when they don't make a good album. Just one song per album. That's all I ask from them. And, you know, Death Cab has delivered one good song per album. Yeah, you know, once you're getting like seven, eight, nine albums deep into a yeah. career, if if the artist can still deliver like one killer track, I think that that's a, that's an accomplishment. You know, not, not everyone is going to just string together you know, good or great album after good to great album. You know? Yeah, I mean, we would have put the Killers in here like a few years ago, but then they actually started making good records again. Well, and even like Wonderful, Wonderful, is there like a standout song on that album? I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, probably. I just don't know what it is. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, let's get to the meat of our episode, and we have a very meaty meat in yeah. uh, this week's episode. We have two big albums. The first album is by Big Thief. Their new record is out today. It's called Dragon New Warm Mountain, I Believe in You. Uh, I'm giving people permission to call this album Dragon or Big Thief 5 because uh, that album title is a mouthful. And uh, I think people are going to be talking about this album a lot. You know, I wrote about this record this week um, and I didn't mince words. I think this album is a masterpiece. Uh, I, I just saw right before... We started recording that uh, Pitchfork gave us the best new music. They gave it a 9.0. I think that's mm. too low. I think this deserved a, a 10.0. Uh, especially, I mean, I think the album itself justifies it, but, you know, they gave two hands a 9.0. And this album, I think, is just markedly better than that album. I agree. And I mm-hmm. think really, you know, I, I love Big Thief. This is their fifth record. You know, I, I, I've enjoyed all of their albums leading up to this, but... You know, I wrote this in my review, and maybe people will think this is hyperbole, but I don't think it is. I think when we look back, people are going to look at those albums as like a preamble of rough drafts to get to this record. I think this is the record that Big mm-hmm. Thief was destined to make, the one that they were working toward. It's just such a strong statement, and and part of it is just because I love double albums. You know, this is a twenty song yeah. record. Uh, you can't talk about it without using the word sprawl. So I'm sorry for <laughs> lapsing into rock critic cliche, but I think that is a word that applies to this record. It's it's it was you know recorded in four different locations. It was recorded in upstate New York. It was recorded in Arizona and in, in the Colorado Rockies and in, in, in Los Angeles. And you can hear that on the record. I mean, there's mm. different uh, sounds on the record, different styles of music. Um, I really love the songs that they did in LA with Sean Everett. I I I kind of want them to make a whole album with Sean Everett. I feel like he can be like their Daniel Lanois, you know, because there's a real he he does something with Big Thief on those songs that I haven't heard him do like with other acts like the War on Drugs, Alabama Shakes, other bands that he's worked with. Um, but you know, you've got like these dusty Americana songs. You have these, uh, you know, Old Testament balladry, you know, very kind of basement tape songs that were recorded in upstate New York. You have that kind of classic art folk that you associate with Big Thief on the record as well. Um, Look, I'm just rambling about this record because I really do think it's a special album. I'm curious to hear what you have to say. I haven't really heard your opinion on this album yet. Yeah, the the people are on the edge of their seats. Uh, First off, like, I'm, I'm not learning that album title. Uh, and that's like very much like I'm happy, like I'm happy for you. I ain't reading all that. I'm happy for you though. Uh, I, I never learned the 1975's album title either. And that's like one of my favorite albums of the past 10 years. But, um, yeah, as far as like this one goes, like I do agree. Like, I don't, I didn't know how this was going to go for me because, um, I think not since like, I want to say like Animal Collective in their prime or Deer Hunter in their prime. Has there been a band that like 
it just seems like the bar gets raised every single time for the praise. Um, but also it's like, is this the one where people turn on them? Because I think, you know, look, you've seen, we've seen many, many big thief, uh, press photos and, you know, their interviews, they take themselves like quite seriously, it seems. And, you know, like, is this going to be the one where they just kind of lose complete sight of their strengths and, and a double album would seem to do that. But I think there was somewhat of a backlash with, uh, in, t- in 2019, like when UFO, yeah. UFOF and Two Hands came out and were so praised. I mean, the New York Times still hasn't really written about this band. It's not like they're universally adored. I think that there are people that look at them as being like this sort of hippie band, that they're very yeah. precious. Um, which they are. <laughs> which they are. You can make that case, but like... This is a great record. You know? Oh no, this is. I mean, this is this, like, like this is great record. I I just got it like. I mean, it's like you could take shots at you two in nineteen eighty seven, but they oh, still made the course. but they still made the Joshua Tree. So like, what do you? Yes. It's like once they didn't make the Joshua Tree, I think that's when the knives come out. Like a big yeah. thief now does rattle and hum. You know, like where they they make a black and white documentary, like where they're covering the Beatles and uh, you know saying that they're stealing. Play, play the blues, Buck me. Yeah, exactly. Know? If they do something like that, then yeah, then the backlash will come. But it's like, yeah, you can be earnest if you're delivering great music and i think mm-hmm. this record to me i don't know like i i've had this record for a couple months now right and um it already feels i mean i referenced so many well, classic seven albums so- seven songs have been released from it so far so yeah it does feel like it's part of a fixture i mean a lot already. of people have heard it but like just for me like having the whole record it's like oh this kind of feels like an automatic for the people it feels like a yankee hotel foxtrot it feels like yeah. a record that people are just going to take into their lives and pass down. It just has that feel to me. I, I, I really don't think, I don't really have any doubt that people are going to love this album if, if they love Big Thief. If, if you don't like them, maybe you'll roll your eyes at the album title. Maybe you'll mm. think they're self-important. Spud Infinity. <laughs> by making such a long record, you know, making yeah. a 20-song record. Um, I love all that stuff. I love that yeah. they went on the road and spent five months playing in different places and because I think it, it translates on the record. And also I just love the gesture. I love the idea that like they want to be great. Like they were, I think they were trying to make a masterpiece with this. They wanted to make a big record. Mm-hmm. And I love that as just, uh, you know, again, the ambition of that, the gesture of it, I love it. And the fact that they pulled it off so mm-hmm. spectacularly, in my opinion, it just, like they're like they're the band right now. Like to me, they're yeah. it. You mentioned Animal <laughs> Collective, Deer Hunter, what they were in the two thousands. That's what Big Thief is now. And there's yeah. not really. I mean, how many other bands are like that? Like where it feels like a real band, where it's not just like one person. It's surrounded by supporting players. I mean, Adrian Linker is obviously the focal point. Yeah. But I think what I really love about this record, as opposed to maybe like the the previous two, is I think the previous two at times felt like Adrian Linker solo records that the other members of Big Thief happened to play on. This feels like a real band. Like you feel them playing together in a room. Mm-hmm. And I love it when you get that vibe from a Big Thief record because, again, this is another earnest thing to say about them, <laughs> but the communal aspect of their music, I think, I find so inviting and invigorating. And it's it, it just maximized here. I think so as well. Like this is my favorite Big Thief record. Um, all like uh, because in a way they they sh- they show more self awareness of their playful side. Like, am I gonna listen to Spud Infinity every single time? Maybe, maybe not. But 
but like you know that's a song with a jaws harp on it like they you can't do that and not have like a sense of humor um about yourselves and i think that kind of plays out throughout the record um you know it's ironic that um this 20 song for 82 some odd minute album to me has less uh lulls in it than uf ufof and two hands which were shorter i think that you're right in that there were times where I would kind of tune out on those records because it seemed a little bit like a solo project or just too quiet. But this one's rowdier. It's got more fun. Um, I love it when they get Dave Matthews band with, uh, you know, little things or um, time, time escaping. Um, and I just wish so much that this album had come out in 1998 or so, not just because there's like a lot of like quasi post uh, OK Computer Portis head um like trip hoppy sort of stuff going on um i just wish i could turn this into a cd like a double cd i can already envision in my mind like the it's got like the fragile style packaging not where it's like a jewel case um it's more like um you know it's not like a jewel it's like the kind of fold out and i was thinking to myself well wait a minute why don't i just like burn these myself well you can, you can buy the cd ian this is the cd revival there is a cd edition actually you know i, I yeah. i'm getting the cd of this and yeah, i i might have to do that and i and i wonder if it will be two discs i guess it has to be if it's 82 it has minutes. to be you i know from metallica's load and reload that you can only fit 79 minutes onto an album so that means it, it'll be like being there the wilco record yeah like that exactly each yeah, disc that ha- also had that also had the soft case, uh, yeah. And it has, uh, you know, that album. Uh, I mean, I, th- I don't even think that album's eighty minutes. Like, I don't think it had to be two discs. I think that, uh, like Tweedy, there's that story where he insisted that it be two discs, mm-hmm. and he actually took less money because he know. wanted it packaged a certain like in that way, which is another reason why Jeff Tweedy is my hero because he's yeah. <laughs> yeah so it could have been on one disc, but like he it wanted could've. it to feel like a double record, so he had it on two discs. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like with the Big Thief record, I, I wonder if each disc is going to be 10 songs in about 40, 40 minutes. Yeah, uh, it has to be. Also, be I realized I, I don't have a CD player in my car or my computer. So if, if I do buy the CD, it's like almost more for show than if I own it on vinyl. You can buy a hard drive that you plug into your laptop for 20 bucks uh, and you can play CDs that way. I'm just saying, just saying out yeah. there. Um, I wanted to ask you this quick. This is sort of a ridiculous question, but in a way, I no, kind of not. believe it's true, which yeah. is, is 2022 already a better music year than 2021? Uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously, we can't make that determination in in February, but we've already seen a series of albums that I think are all-timers. I mean, for me, you know, last month you had, you had Dawn FM by The Weeknd, which I think oh, yeah. is a great record. You have this Big Thief record, which if mm-hmm. there's a if there's an album I like more than this uh, this year, then this will be an all time year for, for me. Like if, if an album tops this Big Thief record, yeah, I can't wait. And I know for you, like Black Country New Road Ooh, is probably like man. your album of the year. Um, oh, I mean, yeah. we've had some heaters already this year. Yeah, and ones that are to come, like that we know are already good. Right, and it just and look, I'm of the opinion that every year is a good year for music. Like you could find good music everywhere, but it just mm. seems like we're having a run of like all time albums early mm. in the year now that put a lot of what came out last year like in a I think a worse light. You know, 
Like, like these are albums that like would have automatically topped year end list last year if they had come out, you know, a couple months earlier. Yeah, I mean, it's not like look, we're, we 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 hash out trends here, so I don't think it's wrong to do the hot takes. But um, yeah, uh, the Black Country New Road album is the the reviews of it are just insanely good. Like even for a record as divisive. As it is, like, I know it's divisive, they know it's divisive, but, like, most critics are, like, really into it. Who wrote the Pitchfork um, review of this album, Ian? Oh, what about the Pitchfork review uh, Who Who wrote album? that? Who wrote it? I, I did, and you know what? Like, this is, like, the first time I've, like, written uh, a review that ended up as Best New Music for an album that, like, I kind of had to convince, uh, like, n- convince people who, like, I, uh, an audience that might not be into it. Because, like, in the past, it would be, like, you know, like, turnstile. It's, like, things that, like, oh, yeah, this is clearly the pick of the litter from, like, the hardcore slash emo realm. But, um, yeah, this one I had to, like, really put my back into. Um, and, I, look, I was just shocked that I liked that album because I, I went back and listened to their first LP, and I still don't like it. Um, yeah, you know, they, there's a lesson. They really nope. leveled up with this oh album. Oh, my God. Well, they stopped being talky post-punk and became, like, kind of a sprawling emo band, which, you know, to me, like, that, not just the music itself, but what it signifies. And now um, and now yeah, it might I, be their last record. Who knows? I mean, the lead singer yeah. left. Like, if, if you could have scored that album yourself, because Pitchfork gave it an 8.4, if you were scoring it, like, what would you have given it? Would yeah, you have gone like, 9? Would you have yeah, been, like, in the 9 range? This album is just, like, such a, like, a fucking obvious triumph and what i think is fun like even if you we could say like muse is music better or not better in 2022 as compared to 2021 when you look at like a band like big thief a band like black country new road uh even you know animal collective or you know that's like indie rock just as indie rock bands i think it's more fun because like bands you can kind okay all these bands have like kind of silly press photos that's a and, like, there are bands that you can just have divisive opinions about and, like, not bring down the universe's hatred on you. I think that's fun. So, like, I think it's more fun to discuss bands than individuals. Um, but, I, I mean, I, I'm, like, I, I would not be surprised if, like, 20, if we look back on 2021, it's like, yeah, that was just kind of a holding pattern. 2022. Because, like, all these albums were probably done. In 2020 or 2021, yeah, and the, now the big the, the big thief album was recorded uh, during the lockdown in 2020. It was like that summer, basically. They went on the road and went to all these different yeah. places. So yeah, this album's been around for a while, which makes you think: Is there going to be another double album by the end of the year from Big Thief? I mean, they recorded 45 songs <laughs> for this project, and the band members have said that some of their favorite songs didn't make the cut. So yeah. you know, maybe there will be another double album, or maybe they can just like chill out and just release 10 song albums for like the next couple years just from yeah. these sessions you know who knows um but again great record and like i said yeah. if there's an album i like more than this this year this will truly be a special year uh, but yeah it, this is the new album i think for me and i think probably for a lot of people that okay this is the album of the year what's gonna top it um yeah and for you, I know Black Country New Road is is probably that for you. But yeah, yeah, like you said, like we we've we've both have heard promos of albums that are coming out in the next few months that are also fantastic. So I mean, yeah. there's this, it's not it's not like we're peaking early here. There's a lot of good albums coming down the road. Indie rock is thriving right now, Ian. Can we say that? I think indie rock is in a really good place. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, it'll be interesting to see like if they're if this is like a 
you know, a rising tide lifts all boats sort of thing. Because, you know, it's right now bands that are pretty established. Like, uh, you know, and we got like Beach House coming up next week and, um, you know, other like bigger acts. But that yeah. Gang of Youths lo- coming out uh, later this yes, month. Yes, Gang of Oof. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about that one. And, that uh, album, I feel like we will both be very nice to. I have a feeling. I'm, yeah. I'm just putting that out there. Yeah. We, we're, we're very much in favor. Um, but yeah, I, and you know, like the next album we're going to talk about as well. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if it's like, you know, a desire to like, you know, relive the glory days of, uh, you know, of, uh, I guess there's a new weather station album coming out as well. Like, so, um, yeah, it'll, it'll, I, I really do hope that, uh, you know, we, we are in a revival of, uh, indie rock cause that will be great content for us. And what matters more than that? Well, let's get to our next record that we're talking about this week. It is called Lucifer on the Sofa. It's by Mm. a band called Spoon that you might have heard of. This is their 10th record. Uh, It's an album that uh, it's been marketed as, I think, a return to rock record. Yes. uh, Which is a little weird to me because I don't know how you feel about Spoon. I've never really thought of them as like a straightforward rock band like when i think about my favorite spoon albums my number one is probably kill the moonlight and then you get you know girls can tell gimme fiction ga 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 you know in any kind of order i mean i feel like those are like the most beloved albums by this band they're playing rock music but i feel like at their best it's always deconstructing it and putting it together slightly out of order you know if you think of a song like i turn my camera on or you know all of Kill the Moonlight, which is rhythmically yeah. very inventive and is, mm-hmm. it almost sounds like demos for a record that would be like a big slick rock record. But like, instead of making the big slick rock record, they made this sort of weird shadow version of what that album would be. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's Spoon at their best. On Lucifer on the Sofa, they're making a more straightforward version of that, probably leaning more towards like the gimme fiction side of what they do, which, you know, if you remember that, ha- that album had songs like Sister Jack on it, uh, The Beast and Dragon Adored, pretty mm, like meaty, song. like riffy uh, songs. Um, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about this album, Ian. Yeah, I've been listening to it this week. I really like it. I think, again, like with Spoon, you know, everyone always talks about this, that they're the band that is, you know, very consistent and I think perpetually underrated. I think that was true for a while. I think now they're pretty properly rated. Um, And, you know, I'm going to throw this out there. I think Kill the Moonlight is a great record. I will say, though, in general with Spoon, that they're a band that makes really good records, but not quite great records. Yeah. Do you feel that way? Because, again, like I look at their whole catalog. I don't think there's a bad record. You know, there's good songs on every record. You know, their work in the 2010s I thought was really good. You know, They Want My Soul was a really good album. And uh, Hot Thoughts I thought was a good album. Um, but, you know, if I think about, you know, the, the, the aughts, like when Spoon was really in their prime or, you know, this, this uh, sort of legacy era in the 2010s going into the 2020s, like they're never my favorite band during whatever period yeah. we're talking about. Like they're always really good. And I'm always like, man, new album, I like it. But, uh, you know, it's always like a, a little bit of a distance for me. It's never like the the, the band that's going to dominate my life, I guess. 
Yeah, and I feel the same way. And it's interesting that like every time a Spoon album does come out, like I find myself like, oh, cool, new Spoon album, listen to it. Okay, well, they're not reinventing the wheel. I like it. And then a couple months later, it kind of it sticks around. But I would say that Kill the Moonlight to me is like a classic record for the Met. The reasons that you mentioned, not just the songwriting, but like the really inventiveness of the production. It reminds me of like the XX in a way where it just strips everything down to just like rhythm and, you know, it's like almost like literally rhythm and blues. And, um, you know, with with that record, when I revisit it now, um, the, Kill the Moonlight's my favorite. Number two is Girls Can Tell. Um, to me, that's like kind of like the, you know, their version of the Nationals Alligator, where you just go back and it's so hard to believe that they were like a struggling band in their 20s feeling like washed up. And the, I, I'm really taken aback by how straightforward that record is literally and or lyrically. And... You know, with this new album, um, I like it. I think that the return to rock aspect, I think they've played it up a lot by saying, oh, yeah, we went back to Texas. We listened to ZZ Top a lot. And um, as consistent as they're said to be, I think that there's more subtly the exper- they do an experimental album. Then they do the back to rock album, which gets like praised a lot more experimental. Al- like so you have like Gimme Fiction and Transference and. Hot Thoughts, which are the kind of weirder ones, and then the Ga 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 Ga, and then They Want My Soul, and this record, which this album is being like, like I think this is getting like the best reviews of any Spoon album I've like ever seen. It got like four and a half stars from Rolling Stone. Yeah. Which can can I just just read the review, uh, read the lead from the Rolling Stone review? Because I feel like this encapsulates. I, 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 I cannot stop you from doing this. Go ahead. This, I think, encapsulates a lot of how Spoon is discussed. It says Spoon are the most reliably great American rock band of the, of the past 25 years. That might say more about American rock than it does about Spoon, but facts don't lie. So we're giving you a compliment, but we're also saying that, like, well, you know, it hasn't actually been a great period for American yeah. rock music. So, but you know, you're the best of like an okay lot. I mean, that's basically what this lead is saying. Yeah. Which I think four again, and a half stars. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's a weird lead for a rave review. Uh, but I feel like that encapsulates a lot of like how they're discussed, which, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's selling them short. I think, I don't think that they're the most reliably great rock band of the past 25 years. I mean, they're the most reliable band. I think you could say yeah. that. But I don't think they're the best band of, of the past no. 25 years. I also happen to think that American Rock in the last 25 years is probably better than the reviewer <laughs> yeah. who wrote this piece. But at any way, it's interesting to me. I think part of like the return to rock thing and people maybe positioning Spoon as like a standard bearer uh-huh. of, uh, of, of rock music has a lot to do with Britt Daniel because hmm. in terms of, of front men, or, or front people, you know, he is in a way like part of a dying breed, you know, this sort of good looking dude who's cool, who has like a really yeah. good voice and can stand in front of a band and have charisma. Um, there's not a lot of people like that now, like younger versions of that in bands. Maybe there, maybe there are, it's just that like, it doesn't look the way that like, you know, like him or a Matt Berninger well, does, you the, know, like, yes, exactly. The, the, but the, also, that's like a great you point. Said, there aren't a lot of, there aren't a lot of bands. Like most of the uh, people who do that are like solo artists by default. You know right. what I mean? Like exactly. They get a band together and it's like the Mitski show or the you know, the soccer mommy show. But I, like it's I think there's a certain breed of music fan though that is like 
my definition of a, of a rock band was set in 1995, and <laughs> and, it, and if and if like it doesn't conform to that, then that means yeah. rock is dead, and yeah. uh, and Spoon conforms to that in absolutely, a lot of ways, you and know, I, and for you know, and, and and again, I think like you made a great point. There are a lot of charismatic front people now. They just don't fit that sort of old world mold. Yeah. Which is, a, you know, that's not a bad thing. I mean, that's a good thing. It's, it shows yeah. that music is evolving. But again, I think if your conception of what a rock band should be was set in, mm. the, in the 90s, then Spoon is a rare band that satisfies that. And I think that's kind of what makes it a little difficult for me to like emotionally invest in this record in the same way that I would with Big Thief or Black Country New Road. I think part of it is because, you know, the, the music, like, Spoon is by no fucking means an underrated band. Like, can we just like, like, I, I cannot believe people are still pulling that one out, like being consistently praised for 20 some odd years. Um, but, you know, they're, they're at a point where um, it's I, I, I don't get the same sort of like stakes, you know, from a Spoon record that I used to. And it's like, oh, it's good. But I never get like, oh, this is really changing the narrative for them or they're really going out on a limb. And, you know, for, pe- for people who kind of have that conception of, like, it's safe in a way. And I don't necessarily mean that as, like, a slight on Spoon. But, you know, to say, like, oh, Spoon, this is, like, it's it's it praises, like, not only indie rock from the 2000s, but also, like, rock music from, like, the 90s. And also kind of a classic rock sort of, like, uh, from the 70s, like ZZ Top or, like, you know, more of the funkier Rolling Stones type music. Like... It just feels like a a safe band to praise because, like that review you read, uh, not only does it you know show that you're modern, but it also it, you can kind of like throw shade amongst other bands who don't adhere to that, for lack of a better term, Rolling Stone conception of what rock is. So we like this record. I think it's fair to we, say. I right? like this record. Yeah, we like. It's not. Like Spoon. It's not the best. It's it's like I don't know if it's even a top five Spoon album. I don't think so. I, to me, it's going to be hard to top that run in the aughts. You know, yeah. again, like, Girls Can Tell, Kill the Moonlight, Give Me Shelter, Give Me Shelter, Give Me Fiction. You talk yeah. about the Stones too much. Uh, Ga Ga Ga, you know, that four album run, I guess. is And I even telef- to- Telefono, like that one. Uh, or or from... Series of Sneaks. I mean, that was, yeah, that that was before, that was late 90s. I mean, yeah, I mean, they've been making great records, you know, as long as a lot of our listeners have probably been alive, you know? I mean, so they might as well be the Rolling Stones if you were born in 1995, you know? That's the stat- that's the position that they're in right now. So it's kind of weird to talk about them like that, but that's definitely what Spoon is now. We've now reached part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? All right, yeah. So I guess like one of the side effects of ha- there being so many big name uh, albums out in recent times is that I haven't really gotten to exploring some of the you know smaller uh, records, some of the more under the radar stuff. So, but what's come up? It's also been a banner time for books um, about music, particularly uh, books about subjects that I like to read about. So the first one I want to mention is. Um, a book by Dan Charnas. He wrote uh, The Big Payback, which to me is maybe the best, like, I don't even know if academic book is a good term, but like The Big Payback, one of the most readable, informative books about the hip-hop business I've ever read. He's back with a book about uh, Jay Dilla, the producer called Dilla Time. 
Um, it's been widely praised, I think rightfully so. It's just a joy to read. And another one I want to bring up kind of from a, a different side of things is uh, Adam Clare with a book called Endless Endless, a lo-fi history of the Elephant Six Mystery, large, largely about uh, neutral milk hotels in the airplane over the sea. And, you know, particularly like Endless Endless, um, he said, like Adam Clare, the author, says it right up front. It's like he... A lot of it's like oral history and Elephant Six people talking about uh, that record. And he had to just edit out uh, a lot of those artists just being like, yeah, that was an amazing fucking record. That was just amazing. Like so many variants of like, I didn't realize, like we just kind of knew this was an incredible, irreplicable experience. Um, and yeah, I mean, the more I read about Elephant Six, the better. Uh the more I read about Athens, Georgia, the better. Um, so yeah, I think this is just kind of a good, um, a good compliment to the big uh, indie records of the week. You know, this, the, some great books about some timeless artists um, and really well done. So, and we should say for those who maybe aren't familiar, Elephant Six was this loose configuration of bands that existed in the '90s and aughts. Neutral Milk Hotel, Olivia Tremor Control, Apples and Stereo. Mm. Who am I? Who am I missing? Uh, circulatory system. Circulatory system. This sort of like psychedelic, lo-fi, lo-fi like four track. Right, and we should talk. We should do an Elephant Six episode sometime. Yes, maybe I should read that book. It sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about a compilation that uh, was recently released in England. It's called C91, and it's a play on these compilations that the New Musical Express put out in the 80s. They put out one in 1981 called C81. They put out one in 1986 called C86. It was basically this these compilations of like young bands that were shaping the sound of indie music at the time in the 1980s, and they've subsequently become... Uh, beloved by people uh, if you're familiar with like the nuggets albums that collected yeah. garage rock uh songs from the 60s these albums performed a similar task for indie and alternative rock in the 80s uh c91 similarly collects songs from 1991 from the british music scene and of course when we think about 1991 british rock we think about like my bloody valentine you know loveless bands like that well this compilation <laughs> goes after everybody else. You know, all the bands <laughs> that you might remember, bands like, say, Ned's Atomic Dustbin. Yes! Or, or the Boo Radleys. Uh, but there's way more bands that uh, time has forgotten. And I, I, I typed down some of these bands. You have like bands like Horse Latitudes, Smashing Orange, Metalark 11, Honey Smugglers, Mexico <laughs> 70. I mean, it's just like a... These bands aren't real. No, they're all real, and they're all spectacular. Um <laughs> And it's just been so fun to listen to this record. You have like a lot of shoegaze music. You have uh, some, you know, kind of proto Brit pop songs on there. You have like a lot of, you know, the dancey rock that you had at that time, <laughs> like lots of Happy Mondays inspired bands. Um, and it's just a great way to dip into a year and to find out like what it was like then. Um, you can stream it. Uh, on streaming platforms, however, you only get 26 songs. Like the the actual oh. album has 59 songs. Of course, 26 songs might be enough. I mean, because there are <laughs> there is a fair amount of like kind of just okay music yeah. on this on this album. But there's also like some real gems. Uh, there's a there's a band called The Stairs, for instance, who I'd never okay. heard of, who kind of sound like The Doors, and they, they're, they're kind of doing like a, like like a Doors we tribute. Weed Bus Flower Shop Demo. That is the name of the song. Yeah, and it's like a pretty cool song. Um, 
so yeah, definitely, I, I recommend dipping into that. Uh, like I said, there's some, there's a fair amount of misses on there, but there's some real gems, and it's just like a like a cool way to go back to really an historic year in music, 1991. Again, we think about with British music, you have Loveless, you have Lo- you have a Scream, Scream Adelica by Primal Scream, and of course all the great American bands yeah. that put out music that year. But then there's all these other bands. That time forgets, and you know, since we are com- we are committed on the show to remembering some guys, this is a true remember some guys classic. So again, C ninety one, go check that out. Yeah, I'm I'm excited because I haven't listened to this yet. Like C eighty six is something I always reference in like music reviews without actually having heard it. But um, <laughs> this one sounds really up my alley, and I just got to mention the last song on here is a. Uh, it's a song called Honey Comes Softly from a band called Fuel. I'm yep. assuming it's not like the Hemorrhage in My Hand Shimmer band, nor is it the Fuel that's like one of the like the definitive like early emo band. So there's a Fuel. Third, I wish they were called if they were called like Fuel UK or like Fuel London or wherever they're from. Like that would have really just been the the icing on the cake for this yes maybe this will inspire a fuel tour where every band called fuel <laughs> will uh get well, together we're not, we're, we're not gonna get brett scallions in there i know that him and fuel got beef well maybe scallions can do like a, a competing tour where it's the yeah. ousted members of the other fuels who get together <laughs> for a tour or the ousted member of other all rock or other like summerland type bands boy i would be there for that brett scallions underrated rock name by the way incredible name <laughs> brett scallions i love it brett it's a, scallions it sounds like a like a danny mcbride character you know <laughs> like brett scallions shows up on righteous gemstones uh we've now reached the end of our episode thank you so much to listening to indiecast we'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week and if you're looking for more music recommendations sign up for the indie mixtape newsletter you can go to uprocks.com backslash indie and i recommend five albums per week and we'll send it directly to your email box (laughs) 